Hello and welcome to the No Pun Included podcast, the only board game podcast in the world featuring the internet's number one top Lithuanian board game reviewer. That's not funny, that's actually <laughs> true. I know. There is no more famous Lithuanian board game reviewer in the How world. How does that feel? Underwhelming. <laughs> well, hello everyone, that's me, Efka, the internet's most famous Lithuanian board game reviewer. And and also Elaine, what's yeah, your claim well, to no, fame? No, I don't have one. Come on, you must have no. one. Tell us why you're famous right now. I can fit 11 boiled eggs in my mouth at once. That's not true. How do you know? Have you I seen me try? Exactly. I've never seen you try. Well, there you go. So it could be true, couldn't it? I uh, I could tell you that I I once was in the newspaper for for putting eleven boiled eggs in my mouth at once. Were you really? No. Oh my god! It's, I actually started believing you, and there we are. Yeah, well, you should know me by now. Anyway, it gets worse from here because now we're going to talk about board games. Why is that worse? Because. Board games are less exciting than 11 boiled eggs in someone's mouth. I mean, depends who you are. It's the new year. It's the new podcast. It's exactly it's the podcast. same as it was before. <laughs> and we have some no pun included news. What are they? Things are slow. If you want to know why, you can go to patreon.com slash no pun included, become a paying member and find out. Uh, but otherwise, uh, we, we have had a video already this year yeah. uh, on our main YouTube channel, which is no pun included on YouTube. Uh -huh. um, and there you will find a video called It's Time to Say Goodbye to Air Hockey, a video that's received some really nice positive responses mm. because I think people weren't expecting for us to cover like table dexterity games. Mm. And we did. And we covered four of them. And I think they're all very interesting. I'm not going to spoil what they are, but we have some left field choices, we have some popular choices, and we had a lot of people telling us they bought the things and played them and discovered them for themselves and had a really good time. So if you're like, eh, hockey, eh, well, maybe watch that video. You'll find something that's a little bit more engaging, fun, and gamey. Home air hockey, particularly. Yeah, home air yeah. hockey. So this is this is an alternative to air hockey to people, which are most of us, who cannot afford an actual arcade-style air or hockey table. Or a house table. to fit it in. Yeah, uh, in, in their homes. So this, if, if you're that person, then you will find something in that video for yourself to enjoy and have fun. Let's have some fun talking about board games. But didn't we just establish that board games are less fun than 11 boiled eggs in your mouth? Yeah, but I, I feel like that conversation has come to some sort of natural okay. stopping point. Okay, okay. Well, let's take, let's talk, let's start slow. Let's talk about Murano. Oh, you know what Fabergé eggs are made out of? Go on. Glass, I think. Oh, that, is that? That may not be true, but that's a segue. That is a segue. And unless you've got a better one, that's what we'll go with. So, M Murano Lightmasters has nothing to do with the board game Murano, nor does it have anything to do with the board game Burano or the board game Walking in Burano. That's um, confusing. And uh, for those who are not Italian, might not be aware of Burano and Murano. Yes, they are indeed right next to each other. And both even feature similar architectural styles in terms of how the cityscape looks and are both places known for glass, I think. Oh. Uh, anyway, Murano is where they make glass sculptures where they blow glass. Mm -hmm. And so this is a game about you making glass sculptures. And guess what, Elaine? What? It comes with actual glass what? in the box. How is that safe? What? Well, let me get to that in my <laughs> special Murano disclosure segment. Um I it's fine, it's not a real segment. I just made it up and <laughs> and I'm gonna make some disclosures. First disclosure, Murano had some trouble getting to us. We got sent a review copy, except it got sent to our old address. So the person who lives there now, whom we don't know, is probably enjoying a copy of Murano. I hope so. Uh, so, so they sent us the new one. So we got the game and the game required replacement parts. I'll get to that in a sec. Uh, and what could those replacement parts be? Don't, don't spoil my <laughs> disclosure segment. 
Then we got sent the replacement parts once again to the old address. So if that person also needed the replacement parts, they got them. I mean, that's convenient. And then we got another set of replacement parts sent to us. And and then we had the game. The second disclosure is to do with the broken parts, which are glass. And this is where I have to admit, I have a phobia of broken glass shards. They make me feel like some people feel where they scratch nails on a chalkboard, mm. which, by the way, that to me is also a thing. So I, whenever I see shards of glass, my blood curdles inside. You don't like polystyrene, either. Oh, God, no, I hate it. It's uh, noise, isn't it? Yeah, oh, just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Elaine. You're welcome. Um, so there was, there was that that came with the board game, and it made me feel, for both of these things, immediately negatively predisposed so so let's go into this first impressions of murano we have played it twice with that in mind so tell us more tell us tell us more about murano elaine yeah let's let's talk about the game instead of your phobia of uh, glass shards uh, yeah, the, it's a, it is a game about glass making. You are an artisanal glass maker, and you will be making glass sculptures, and you will do this by collecting little glass shards. I mean, they're not shards; they're beads. They're beads, yes. Yeah, they're beads. So they're yeah. they're they're perfectly safe. Like they're very the nice they and very, very pretty, nice. and they sound nice yeah. when they clank together. Well, the reason I made that silly disclosure is because the game has actual glass in the box, yeah. right? And if we kind of talk about it and people go, oh, this sounds nice, and they buy it, yeah. I, I think they should be aware that there's a potential no, of... I, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that would be a better ending to this because I think the, the disclosure slash warning about uh-huh. this is that if... It says the game is for 8 plus, right? Yes. Age 8 plus, but don't let a kid open it who's 8 because... If there is broken glass in it, you don't want to be dealing with that. Yeah. Even if you get it for someone who is age eight plus. Then... <laughs> Boy, that's an enticing start. Well, isn't it just? Have, we don't even know what the game's about No, yet. yeah. Um, but I think we've, I feel we've put a lot of people off. Maybe. Uh, it's perfect. The, the second lot that we got, just so you know, were sent just in a jiffy bag, like yeah. a bubble wrap bag, and they were fine. They so were I don't know fine. if it was just... The first lot of glass was a bit duff or mm. what, but the second lot was just in a jiffy bag and were absolutely fine. So they, they do clack together in the box and nothing has happened. Right? Yes, and, and they are very nice pieces. Because, yeah, they are. Because uh, the conceit of the game, I think, in terms of who this game is for, is very much in the same ballpark avenue as Azul, right? Yeah. It's a light, abstract, mm-hmm. sort of competitive puzzler, yeah. right? And and you get to move nice pieces around and those nice pieces in this game are colorful glass which feels nice to touch pretty to look at yeah it it certainly creates a presence on the table and it's as has become popular in board game publishing lately is the one gimmick that this game has you know so every game has to now have like a A thing yeah selling point yeah yeah. Oh, wow, I, I hate what? that term so much. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Uh, but it does, and it has that. It has a few extra as well, and we'll get onto those later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's glass, and you move that glass about, and it's pleasing to look at and nice yeah, to touch. Yeah, you're either taking... You are always taking uh, two beads of glass, depending on where... There's like two um, rings around the central pot of glass beads, mm-hmm. and wherever those... Whatever glass beads color is on those rings that's the ones that you get to take so you're always taking two beads uh, and then you can swap those beads for other beads that you want and why are you doing this because you're trying to collect beads of certain colors because the certain colors will go towards making the sculpture that you want to make which are on cards you immediately mentioned a couple of things that i feel like i want to expound on right so first of all the whole central ring conceit despite the rule book being a little bit woolly about it and uh, since the game is published by madigo this should be expected the rule books really aren't the best this was understandable yeah. and I, mm-hmm. I learned how to play the game from it because the game is pretty simple and pretty light and the rule book isn't very big so I read through it but there was one thing that really confused me because they call the two rings that yeah. are present on the board uh, they call it the ring and which is the outer ring right and then they call it the circle adjacent to the warehouse which is the <laughs> inner ring right there's just two rings next to each other why they didn't call them 
outer ring and inner ring is beyond me because uh-huh. it would have simplified that rule book so much. Uh-huh. But that that's just all it is, right? And so you have these two rings. One is a smaller one mm-hmm. and there's another one surrounding it. And there's also like a third plasticky ring, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, that, that has a little arrow yeah. uh, that points onto things on those two rings. And all those things are, are different colored beads, yeah. right? So when your turn comes, you just move the plasticky pointer ring one space forward yeah. and then whatever whatever the two beads are on the two rings, that's what you get. However, there's a nice little trick yeah. where you can pay some money and move one of the rings counterclockwise the outer ring. yeah the outer ring and therefore adjust what you will be getting yeah and i think that's pretty neat and pretty clever because you want to be very very precise about what it is that you are getting uh because the entire game revolves around this efficiency of collecting just exactly the right glass right. that you want to have because you have these cards that you want to fulfill. But Be- you can only fulfill them in a certain order. Yes, they are in your hand and you ha- you can only fulfill the top card. Once again, you can pay some money mm, and move that. move that top card somewhere else in your hand, mm. revealing the next top card. That's the one you have to fulfill now. Once again, you can pay some money. And that's what the game is very generous about. It allows you to pay as much money as you like at any time to maneuver things into more advantageous positions. But the problem with that is that the objective of the game is to have the most money. And the the only way you... Well, one of the two ways you get money, but the the predominant way of getting money is by completing these cards. And the less glass you have that is spare after you've completed the card, Mm -hmm. the more money you're going to get. So once again, you want to be really, really efficient. In real world terms, the most more efficient you've been as a glass maker, the less like shards that you've bought or whatever Mm -hmm. to make something, the more money you're going to get in the end, right? Yeah. And so uh, that's that's the other thing that I kind of also want to jump on is... The aesthetic presentation of the game, Mm. it's not just like the glass beads that are nice. Mm. There's a a lot of the sculptures I found on the cards that you're creating. I found them not just evocative, but like it's these little tchotchkes that I used to have around the house. (laughs) the holes. Because my mum used to buy like little glass figurines or whatever. And they they were immediately like when we played this actually with my mum because she's staying with us right now. And uh, one of the cards when I played it, I said, we had this thing. (laughs) We literally had this thing in our house. So, you know, it it evokes some pleasant childhood memories, I think. It evoked a a slightly negative one for me because one of the items is a glass ring for your Mm. finger, Mm. right? And I had a glass ring and I broke that glass ring while it was on my finger, right? wow. So so it it does evoke some memories for both of us, but different (laughs) memories. Different ones, definitely, yeah. (laughs) But it it does because there's so many different things that you can make, right? Mm. Um, So many different cards have have different items on. And there's like perfume bottles, rings, uh, animals, glass animals. And all of them are so nicely drawn on Mm. the card. Mm-hmm. It, all the colours are lovely because they've all got different colours in them. So there's yeah. four colours in the game: red, blue, green, yellow. I think, and, a, and a wild and one, a, and a wild one. Yeah. yeah, but but everything is made of the red, blue, green, and yellow, mm. um, or a combination of those. And they all just look really, really lovely. It's it's a pleasure to play because you're enjoying what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. But the only my only complaint I think about the kind of design of it overall, not not the gameplay, but the, mm-hmm. the physical design of it, is how janky the actual board feels. In you have to put it in the box, yes, because it has a dip for the warehouse glass in the yeah. middle of the board, and it has to sit in the box because you can't put it on the table, otherwise it wobbles about So your everywhere. board is the box. So and your board, yeah, the box. Which, that's the other gimmick. Is fine, right? It's not fine, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, you. I, I, it's fine for me, but then the little plastic ring that you move feels very plasticky, and I feel like I'm going to pull it out or something accidentally. Mm. Um, I, I hate it because it blocks table view and then it blocks what the other players are doing. I can't see the cards. Not from like a gameplay perspective, but more from like just an aesthetic being and being social, yeah, you I know, guess. perspective. 
I just, I just hate that this barrier sits in the middle of us. And I don't understand why they had to do it like that. They wanted to have, like, a game in the box, I guess. And that's a gimmick. And a gimmick that's already on top of another gimmick in this game, <laughs> which isn't yeah. really necessary. And it's just there, and I don't like it very much. But, you know, what are you going to do? You could all sit in a line, in a long line along the table, like you that were sitting waiting for the dentist. <laughs> less social. Anywho, I, I want to broach the gameplay itself. Mm. And the gameplay is definitely what I would call clever, because, as I mentioned before, there is a layer of efficiency and there's tricks you yeah, can do. Yeah. Because you're, you're forced to mandatorily take two shards of glass. Mm at the start of every turn and you can manipulate what they are but you have to spend money so you're like what can i what can i make do mm-hmm. and there's this whole other layer where if you complete two cards in one go you're gonna get slightly less money than if you completed them individually mm-hmm. uh but you get like a bonus for doing it so it bridges that gap a little yeah, bit it's an incentive yeah but it also ups the clock because the game ends as soon as one person yeah. finishes all their cards right yeah. once that it's done, the game's ended, and there's only like five cards. You take these two glass shards, and then you can manipulate them in mm-hmm. different ways. You can put them onto these markets, uh, and then collect more glass shards connected to them. It could be one glass shard, it could be three, it could be two. And then again, you can pay money to turn rings to mm-hmm, manipulate mm-hmm, what that mm-hmm. is. You can just buy the glass shards from a market where someone's deposited them before right but um, you're reliant on someone else having deposited what you want yes right? exactly uh, and or you can also get rid of some of the glass that you don't want for money so then you know you you're submitting a more efficient kind of hand and there's all these little things you can do but at the end of the day i feel like the game ends very very quickly it, too well, quickly before it gets going. It and does I sus- say it's 30 minutes, though. It's I know, but I, I suspect the reason it ends so quickly, and it feels like it's done just as it started, is because there isn't much more to the game beyond that. Mm. It's like, collect glass. You can be clever about it, but there's nothing really more interesting going on. There's not, like, many tips and tricks. There is one extra layer where the cards that you have completed can then be used to power different super abilities and those super abilities there's like a whole array of them it's Mm -hmm. not like you change them up every game so there is variety for each game but i don't know like my mum and consider that my mum isn't really she hasn't played a lot of board Mm -hmm. games she doesn't Mm -hmm. play board games but she has played azul and she immediately said it reminded me of Azul, but I liked Azul more. Yeah, she she did, said, I she? liked this yeah. game, but I liked Azul more. And to me, that really is the nail in the coffin of Murano. Because if it was this or Azul, I would choose Azul. It's the soundbite, isn't it? It's the quote. Like, that. it encompasses everything that we had thought as well that your mom yeah. gave us there. Um, yeah, when you were explaining how to play this game, I didn't expect it to be like a full of massive decisions, but I think I did expect it to have a little bit more to it. So um, like you, you can have those special abilities, but I thought that when you were looking at what you were going to make, maybe you were also looking at what special ability it would unlock for you, mm. but you're not because you're just looking at what you're trying to make the most efficiently as possible. Right. Yeah. And you're also not, I also thought it would have maybe a little bit of like, where you try and not put the glass in the market that you know the other players want, right? Mm. Because then they will take it and make their stuff. But there isn't room for that. There is just not the scope for that because you are so concentrating on what you're making and how to do it most efficiently Mm. uh, before someone else advances the game clock. There just isn't the room for that thinking. I think you're... Right. I think the game trips over itself because it's so focused on that, you know, get this done as efficiently as possible. And there are multiple ways you can manipulate that. But at the end of the day, all you're doing is collecting glass and converting glass, right? There are different ways to do it, but that's the gist of it. Get glass, swap it over for some other glass, (laughs) and then see if you can submit the thing, right? That's kind of it. Which is fine. If if that's what you go into it knowing if you really like glass making then you know then you might 
enjoy the theme of this game, the setting of this game. Didn't uh, Blur sing about our next game? I th- I, th- I think they did. I think I think there's I, a song. I, yeah, there's. I'm sure there's. It's a rattling song. in my brain. Yeah. You, anyway, did you know that Arkwright the card <laughs> game is signed by Richard Arkwright himself? Oh no, it's not. It's just got his sig- printed signature. Yeah, I can't believe they brought him back from the dead just to sign some board games. What a trip that it's must have been! Efka, like, like the, the game designer or publisher. Surely they wouldn't fake Richard write... Arkwright's signature. It's not fake. It's just printed. That would be mail fraud, a federal offense in the United States of America. I don't know where you were going with that, Efka, but um, mail fraud, obviously. I don't know why we're talking about that. Uh, Shall we talk let's about talk, Arkwright? Please, please can game. we? Please, right, can we okay. talk about Arkwright the card game? Long-time <laughs> listeners of the No Pun Included podcast will remember that our very first episode of the wow. No Pun Included podcast featured our review of Arkwright. <laughs> that was like going back in time. Okay. I did a, I did a thing because you... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, out. that made sense. Um, yeah. yeah, we talked about Arkwright the not card game. Yeah, the game. The game. Uh, in our very first podcast, yeah. Yeah, and now we're talking yeah. about Arkwright, the, the card, card game, game, still designed by Stefan Reisthaus. Mm-hmm. However, this time published by Game Brewer rather mm-hmm. than Spielworks and then later on Capstone Games. Mm-hmm. And I think people will remember that we were generally quite effusive about Arkwright. Yeah, we were positive. We gave it a positive shake now. And, and people who watched our... Slashing our collection in half video will remember that we got rid of Arkwright in the end. Yeah. And that was because all our hopes were on <laughs> yeah, they Arkwright were the card they? game. I uh, don't know why we did that. We, because we... I've heard, so the boss that I've heard was that yeah. it, what it is, is essentially Arkwright, but more streamlined and quicker. I know, but we should have learned our lesson by now. We've I heard know. This, this blurb before. I know, uh, I we... know. Uh, spoilers, yeah. I guess, towards our <laughs> that conclusion. Was spoilers, yeah, but <laughs> but we have played Arkwright the card game just the once, and this, so this is very much a first yeah. impressions, and a review copy of this has, provided, has been provided by Game Brewer, and... It's it's fine. It's fine. I liked it. Um, it definitely does feel like Arkwright. Yes. The game. The, the some game. some of the elements of Arkwright. Um, but the gameplay is quite different. Shall I tell people what yeah, Arkwright on, is sure. about? So in Arkwright, you don't play as Richard Arkwright, but you play as industrialists in the Industrial Revolution era. Uh, set in England. Yes. Um, 1770 to 1790. Well, there you go. And you will be That's making factories and employing peoples in those factories. And eventually those peoples are going to ask you for too much money. So you're going to fire them and replace them with automation right. uh, to revolutionize the industry and make things more efficient and make more cutlery lamps bread and And coats uh uh, not necessarily in that (laughs) order uh and you will be making money from those things by selling it either to domestic markets where the people that you've been employing have now increased the demand for cutlery bread lamps and more people so they can afford more stuff yeah exactly right or circular economy yeah or you will be shipping them abroad which might initially net you more money but decrease your share value and there's this whole thing about about, about share value because through the course of the game you would rather put your money in into making more things mm-hmm. because you're mm-hmm. increasing your engine right but but also you need to buy shares in your own company because your share value increases so if you buy them early they'll mm-hmm. be worth more later at the end of the game but the trick is is that money is worthless at the end of the game it's sort of just like a tiebreaker yeah what you really want yeah. is it's just shares. the share value uh to increase and have more shares yeah because if, it's, it, you multiply them uh, right, together and right it's a big number at the at the end of the game you can spend any money that you have left on shares but by that point your shares hopefully are going to be worth too much money for you to buy too many shares in so <laughs> you mm. end up with with a few 
pounds over. So so far, this sounds a lot like Ark, right? Yeah. What's different in the card game? Well, cards. Yeah, everything's made out of cards, apart from the things that aren't, which uh, are boards. There's there's actually quite a lot of that isn't made out of cards. Honestly, I was made out of cardboard, but it's not made out of cards. Yeah, but but you still the the way your factories yeah. are constructed. They're constructed of various cards that you flip over or turn yeah. around, yeah. and they sort of when you upgrade them and they produce different values. So, for example, your worker cards might say there's free workers in your factory just from this one card. But if you automate, you then flip that card over and suddenly you have one worker and And two two machines machines, and machines cost less to maintain. Yeah, but you are restricted as to how many machines you can buy. You're restricted on everything Mm -hmm. uh, based on how far you've moved up certain tracks uh, on your own player board, how much you've unlocked. Yes. Um, So everything is restricted. So the amount of machines you can buy on one turn, uh, the amount of like promotion you can give your your wares. Uh, all, all kinds of things you're, you're restricted on. How many cards you can even have are like development cards that give you extra stuff that mm. let you do different things. What I want to kind of focus on is is how your factory, what do you do with your factory? So let's mm. say I have a bread factory. What does that bread factory do? Make bread, probably. It, it makes bread. And, and again, that's one of the things you can manipulate. You can manipulate how much bread it makes. You can manipulate how much you're going to sell it at, yeah. right? So how much money you're going to make per bread that you make and and then there's a couple of other things like how many workers you have how many machines you have which is how much you're gonna pay in expenses basically for making bread and the final thing you can increase is quality and appeal which both basically increase how much of bread you can sell but in slightly different ways but the problem with that is anytime you increase quality and appeal you move this pip upwards that basically means the higher it is the more you can sell but as that pip moves also the demand for some reason decreases i know why you're struggling to explain this because this is the bit like that didn't make sense in your head when i was telling you the rules for this game um but and the way that that i kind of thought maybe thematically it works is that you you're making really good quality bread so other people want to get in Mm. on this good quality bread game and now there's too much bread and so the demand goes down for the bread i don't know it's abstracted competition very much very much yeah and it doesn't gel in my brain because it's not represented as simulationist as everything else in the game that's a good very good point everything else is very simulationist yeah Yeah, but but the core conceit is that anytime in terms of a game perspective right anytime you want to go okay so i'm making all this bread i want to sell it and there's not enough people buying it so i want to increase the quality of this bread or the appeal of this bread or whatever and then because of that demand also goes down so i need to pull it far enough in terms of quality but also the way you can adjust appeal is by changing the price of your bread so if you change it to cheaper then the appeal is higher so there's all these levers that you there can pull a lot of buttons, right? and suddenly you realize <laughs> that all you're doing is making less of a loss because you're not making you have to pay your workers you have to maintain your factory you have to mm. do all these things so you're, you're juggling these really complicated math puzzles because all it is is math it's all deterministic yeah uh, the only thing that gets in your way is if someone else also has a bread factory mm. and is doing all these considerations and because that demand pip is manipulated by both players is shared effectively they could also lower the demand because they'll be selling their bread right Uh so you don't know what they're gonna do so maybe you will push it even further make it even cheaper than you reasonably should yeah just to avoid from not being able to sell all this bread because not being able to sell it bread is bad right yeah there are options if you can't sell it to the domestic mm. market like you can put it in a warehouse right you can yes. keep it in a warehouse it doesn't go off uh, uh, but, and then you can sell it at a later point if you can or you can ship it to the overseas but market. if you ship it you're decreasing your share value at the end right, of the game right. so you don't want to do that so there's all these very very economic but also very, very mathematical puzzles. Mm. And 
at its core essence, that's all this game is. It's maths. There's, there's the quite game. a lot of rules, <laughs> but there's maths. And when Arkwright came out, there were a bunch of reviewers saying, well, Arkwright's interesting, but a lot of this game is just maths. And I was like, I don't necessarily agree with that assessment because I think Arkwright is this whole big shared experience uh -huh, across the uh -huh, table. Uh -huh. Everyone's sort of, you know, in their game being a ruthless capitalist and that isn't necessarily appealing to everyone but i think it's appealing from a sort of simulationist exploration perspective you know yeah i think people who who know us by now know that capitalism isn't exactly our favorite thing in the world no but it's it, fun to toy with an economic simulator sometimes like i i never yeah. want to fly a plane but i enjoy being in flight simulator exactly right? exactly yeah that that that's sort of the appeal and and the big game you know meaty sort of experience was what Arkwright delivered. Arkwright, the card game, for better or for worse, slashes all of that. And I would argue it would be for better if it would be a more accessible game. And in mm. some ways it is because there are technically less rules, but it's still in yeah, that it, category where there's a lot of rules. It's not an approachable rule book. It's not an approachable game. Uh, Sorry, it, I have meant approachable when I said yeah, accessible. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I thought you probably did. Yeah. Um, mm. Like the box is small. It's like the the size of an A4 piece of paper. It's thicker than that, obviously, mm -hmm. but it's the size of that. And I thought it's going to be a small game. It took over the entire table. It's The game is massive. The rule book is complicated, right? Yeah. Uh, and the game is pure maths. And you're right. Like the, the bits that were stripped away that felt maybe to some people maybe felt unnecessary for me, and I think for you, yeah. made the game mm. as fun as it was. That's that's mm. what I enjoyed, all of those bits. And they've been stripped away, and it's just like a spreadsheet in a box. It didn't have that big game feel, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but it was big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was particularly negative sounding. There, there were there were other things that sort of slightly bothered me about Arkwright the card game. There were a couple of cards that like, oh, you can have this special ability or that mm -hmm. special ability. But the variety didn't seem particularly oh, they, yeah, effusive. Yeah, they were quite balanced maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and, and the balance seemed quite off because there was one card that clearly sort of, it it effectively provided a discount yeah. uh, by, by making your salaries for your workers cheaper. There was another card that made some of your machinery free to maintain. And acquiring them was just as hard as one or the other, right? Yeah. So the same investment, yeah. but one clearly provided a bigger cash bonus than the other. I guess you could have both. I, but I was just like, why are, why are they so wildly off from yeah, one another? Yeah, I wonder if another? it's because we only played the kind of, not beginner game, but the the starting set, the recommended starting setup, right? Mm. Uh, if you play again, it does, the rule book does say you don't have to play with this recommended starting setup. You can play it, you can go wild. You yes. can do whatever you want, yes. right? And I wonder if it was that because you started with a card and I started with a card and they were different. They had different abilities and one mm. of them we thought felt more useful at the beginning of the game mm. certainly than the other one yes so i i don't know it it's very i i know i was quite negative about it but there were lots of bits of it i did enjoy yes very um, much i still have to maintain that this is a pretty good game yeah a, a pretty enjoyable game for anyone who is looking for that sort of experience which is a mm. big meaty economic mass puzzle yes. that's competitive and i think the game whilst it will balloon in length will also probably benefit from more than two players. Yeah. Because it really needs that tension between multiple people right? owning the same factory yeah. and going, I just don't know what's going to happen because I don't know what the other person is going to do. Am I going to tank myself to, you know, just sell all this stuff or, or, you know, or is this just necessary? And sometimes you push the button and it's the right button. But I, I felt a very similar tension in Smartphone Inc. People will remember us talking about mobile markets a few episodes ago, and we also touched on Smartphone Inc. Uh, both of those games do a similar thing, yeah. where it's like, how far do I manipulate this slider in terms of how much I'm going yeah, to yeah. earn, right? Yeah. And I think that game did it a little bit better. 
Yeah, and I think the game is designed in a way that you are supposed to be, or it, it's at its best when you are competing for these factories, um, because there is also less downtime for the other players, because you only get to activate a factory uh, that you own, mm-hmm. right? So if if you're in a round where the factory is not being activated that you own, you don't get to do anything, right? So it's kind of encouraging you to buy more factories, and you could, in theory, own all four factories if you could maintain if that you could, puzzle, well yeah if you, it's if a lot of brain space that it takes up but also gives you a lot of opportunities but you also might tank yourself well so you might th- there are, you might tank yourself with two factories i mean you might yeah. <laughs> like i did at the beginning <laughs> hey you you won that it's one of the neat things i guess that came out of that game that we played was that our scores were 399 to 400. <laughs> yeah, I know, that was yeah. so weird. We were clearly well matched, right? Mm-hmm. You with your coats and knives at the beginning and me with my bread and lamps. And I got into bread You as got well. into the bread game. Yeah, yeah. You, you got into my cutlery. You saw how important that was. I got into your cutlery, yeah. yeah. I liked how all the mechanisms worked together. Like you felt like you were doing one thing to do another thing to do another thing to do another thing it's a very cohesive system and the puzzle is is immediately emergent you're like okay i see what i need to do make profit can i oh no i'm making a loss how little of a loss can i make right it's damage limitation at Um, the beginning and it does say that in the rule book like it says expect to lose money because Mm. businesses don't always make a profit at the beginning right yeah don't worry about it because you can Upgrade your factories, yeah, you buy can do more all workers. Of this other stuff. Don't yeah. get discouraged. And mm. you start with fifty pounds, right? It gives you fifty pounds, so you can afford to like make a bit of a loss at the mm. beginning, and that's why it does it, I suppose. Yeah, maybe you can go hard. Maybe you can like bank on big losses, but like maybe. use that to set yourself up in the future. I, I definitely, I think, made some big expenses at the start of the game by just hiring everyone. And yeah. it's funny, like yeah. hiring also produces other things. Like it increases demand, but it also increases how much you have to pay for workers. Yeah. You know, there's, there's all these like nifty little things that you can do. I, I do also want to bring up that I got a very similar feel from Arkwright the card game as I did to Pipeline, which was our oh, okay. uh, game of the year for 2019. In terms of like they're very different games, but but the motions you go, f- your brain go- goes through mm. in both of them are are similar where you're straddling just that very thin cash line of just about staying afloat, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, that's true. And, and kind of going, can I make this? And they're both very interactive economic puzzles. It's just that I think that pipeline is more looser and freer and there's more kind of different odd things you can shoot for each game and they feel more diverse in terms of like opportunities and options there is a rigidness to this game yeah Yeah, keeping you in check we we haven't yet tried the new pipeline expansion maybe we'll cover it in the in in one of the upcoming episodes uh but that looks to even make pipeline freer and looser Mm. and provide more different opportunities uh, so we will be diving into that at some point soon. But for now, Arkwright the card game, fine. Not as good as Arkwright. But here's one last thing, significantly cheaper. Yeah. So if you're looking for a budget-friendly version of a big, meaty, mm. Euro econo- economic puzzle uh, with a calculator that you will need right next to you, uh, this is it. That's the one. Elaine, I have a very important question. Yeah. Are you, in fact, a spy? What, right now? No. Have, I you, mean, have you ever been I a mean, spy? No, not ever. <laughs> uh, Who for? Who would I be a spy for? Well, it's a shame that I can't recruit you into Mind MGMT. The mind. No, 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 no. Mind the MG- mind. <laughs> you don't say it like that. Why? What does MGMT mean? You would have to read the comic book to find uh, out. Is I it management? management? I think it's management. Uh, I think mind it's, management. Okay. Yeah, mind management. Uh, it, it, this is definitely a game that will massage your brain. <laughs> massage? Yeah, you but know. No, uh, well. You know, activate the wrinkles that do the thinking. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so wrinkly brain. Yeah. Um, so this comes from Off the Page Games, uh, who kindly sent us a review copy of the Mind MGMT game. The design is by Jay Cormier and Sen Fung Lim, and art by Matt Kind, who is also responsible for the comic book Mind MGMT, published by Dark Horse Comics. 
So with that, I want to say I have never received a box uh-huh. quite like this because uh-huh. I, I don't even know where to begin and how much I even want to say because the box itself, I'm not talking about the game. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just talking about this rectangular box. Uh-huh. The cardboard. Yeah. yeah on the much outside, like, much like you would get it. your regular board game in. Yeah. <laughs> on the surface, nothing special about it. In fact, quite a lot of beige, uh-huh. which is, I guess, typical for board games. But wow. I There's just, a lot of writing on it. It's not just writing. There's there's so many details. Uh-huh. There's so much thought put into uh-huh. it in so many different layers and ways. And I don't. I want to tell you about it, but I don't want to tell you about it. Let me just say, this is the most exciting special board game box mm-hmm. I have ever had from any board game. That's before we talk about what's wow. what, what the game is. Praise. The box itself is something. It's like it got me ready for an experience. An experience. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, and yeah. an experience I got... But a very different experience from you. I, but I think that's a good point. Like, you, when you see a board game box, you kind of... You do judge a book by its cover, don't you? Because yeah. everybody does. And you get a board game box and you go, okay, this is what the game is going to be like, mm-hmm. right? And you get this and you go, what is this game going to be about? This, this, There's going to be something in here. This, this is going to be some kind of different experience from my other board games right Mm -hmm. that's true yeah it was a different experience for me because i well it's a hidden movement game how do you feel about (laughs) hidden movement games elaine they make me feel like a silly (laughs) uh they really make me feel like a silly i i I get so very very lost in hidden movement I, i would be a terrible actual spy or a terrible actual like a, like a bounty hunter, I'd be a terrible right. bounty hunter because I just no, I'm just awful at it. Um, so in in mind, however, you yeah. are amazing at I, it. I'm not amazing, but I had I had a fun time. We played four games of Mind MGMT. Yeah, we did. This is still first impressions. Yeah, because even after four games. We feel like we've barely scratched the surface uh-huh. of what this game is. So in Mind MGMT, especially if you're not familiar with hidden movement games and what they are, uh, one player will be playing against all other players. Yeah. In a two-player game, it's just one versus one. Uh, but the gameplay is the same, effectively. It's just that uh, one of the parts can be split off into four parts. So the game yeah. supports up to five players. But yeah, so so there will be still one versus four. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and the, the one is the person that is trying to be caught, not trying to be caught. Exactly. They move in secret patterns that the other players can't see mm-hmm. on a board. Yeah, uh, behind in, a screen. And yeah. in this game, the board is the city of Zanzibar. Oh. Very, very beautifully illustrated. It is, uh, yeah. Uh, and each space is f- full of these. Each space has like two different features. There's many different features, and they're they're all things like thought shield umbrellas or yeah. uh, observation monks. They or look like normal things, but they are called subliminal something, billboards. Something uh, else. Yeah, and and it all kind of puts you in this trippy, uh, mind bendy setting where one player, the person who's hidden, is playing. As the recruiter, uh, definitely not the bad guy, uh, and and <laughs> that the was other me. <laughs> yeah, and, and the uh, and the other players play as rogue agents trying to stop the recruiter from recruiting potential spies mm-hmm. from all across the city of Zanzibar by visiting the features that they want to visit, which are also secret from the rogue agents. Yes. So you do everything behind this big screen, which once again beautifully illustrated uh, and you have a mini map of the board where you draw over the marker and uh, your uh, the way you move across the city is you simply write one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, it's squared. It's broken up into yeah. squares. And so you're drawing it like in a, in a, in a line where you can move orthogonally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you move left, up, down, whatever. And you can't cross the path you already have been on. Yes, exactly. Uh, whereas the rogue agents, actually, there's four agents. They're on oh, the they, actual they move board. Anywhere. Yeah, they, 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 there's a lot. They they're create this net basically yes. around and, and it's a it's an interesting game because it is on the face of it if if you strip everything away if you strip the setting if you strip the art 
if you strip everything, it's it's very abstract because mm. all you're doing is basically you're asking the recruiter player, like, have you been to any of these features mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I am standing mm -hmm. on? Let's say you're standing on some C4K9 assassination dogs. <laughs> Uh, and, and you go, have you ever been to any C4 K9 assassination dogs? And the recruiter looks at their own private little map and goes, well, I've been to one, two, three different C4 K9 assassination dogs, but I only have to tell them about one of them. Mm -hmm. So uh, they then put the, a step token on the map yeah, and say, token, yeah, a little yeah. foot token to say, I have been here. But you don't know when. Yes. And, and, and there's this whole like mini game around like, when has that person been there? Mm -hmm. Because if you can figure out when they've been there, you mm -hmm. can hopefully try and trace a path to where they are now, yeah. right? And the the fun part as well for me was that uh, the way you maintain information as rogue agents is that you're not allowed to make notes, but there are these little like brain tokens uh -huh. uh, that you literally write on with a marker because they, they're wipe away. And then you can write some information down and put them on a map and that's the only note keeping you're allowed to make. So you're creating, once again, this mind map of where you think that person hasn't been, yeah. has been. And then it's like, oh, okay, you haven't been here from turns one to six, but now I've caught you here, which means you have only been here from turns seven onwards. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that gives you also all kinds of information. So it's, it's a really, really, really trippy game that you're playing. Uh, what I want to broach immediately is that there's a training mode, mm -hmm. and there's a full game mode, yeah. and then there's the uh, shift mode. system, okay. which is a new thing, but feels very familiar in terms of, like, campaign-style games. Mm -hmm. So the training mode is a very stripped-down version of the game, and the rulebook recommends that you should play it maybe even a couple of times mm -hmm. before you play the full game, and I'm glad we did that. Then there's the full game, but anytime anyone loses the full game... And it's recommended to keep on playing the same role. So the person who's played the recruiter mm -hmm. keeps playing the recruiter and so on. You unlock like a package. Mm -hmm. And there's seven packages for the recruiter and seven packages for the rogue agent. So if you lose, you get a package. And again, I'm not going to spoil what's in that package, but it's no, obviously but it out new bit. game elements. Yeah. And it's not just, I'm also going to say, it's not just one thing. There's a little no. bit more there. Well, you said package. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, it gives you different things that might help you if you're struggling a little mm, bit. Mm. So the game blossoms and balloons into different things mm. as you go along and it constantly unlocks new things. And I'm really glad for that because when we played the training mode, mm. I was like, I hope there's more to this game. Yeah, you were a little bit bored when you played the recruiters. Yeah, so we got to try both sides yeah, of the we, training mode. we decided mode. to do that to see what side we liked better. Mm. Uh, we both played the rogue agents and we both played the recruiters just to see what suited us better. And I, I definitely suited the a recruiter better and you, it was better for you to have to work out a puzzle work out my steps, work out where I'd been, work out what I'd been on, mm. like da-da-da. And for me, um, because this isn't a kind of game that, that my brain works well with, I was better at just trying to get away from you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and just trying to do my best not to get caught. The, the thing about the map I just wanted to mention is that uh, you you mentioned it was beige, right? It yeah. is very beige. Yeah. But then the elements, like the the thought board, the billboard, mind board, whatever it's called, uh -huh. uh, is is in color. All of the elements are in color, so they immediately stand out. They're exactly replicated on the mini map and the big map. Mm. So I I as the recruiters wasn't really looking so much at the big map. I was just looking at my mini map, and then I was looking at the big map to see where you were, mm. right? Right? But you're kind of focused on this little mini map working out where you're going to go uh, and and trying to get to the spaces that will let you recruit more people. Mm. Um, but you were very, very good at working out that puzzle. And, and you you couldn't keep quiet either. Like I imagine if you played this with someone who has a very good poker face, it could be quite a silent game uh -huh, uh -huh. as you each move or each do your things, you know, without voice in it. But you were like, oh, well, if I went here and then you went here and then and then maybe you were here on turn two and then maybe you were here. And I think that that helped me because that gave me clues <laughs> as to what you were going to do. I was still awful at it. But um, I, I had 
to not be silent because otherwise I couldn't work through the puzzle. And I'm very glad <laughs> you about had that. You to say it out loud. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> glad about that because I think if you're playing with more players, the rogue agents can you talk, can talk anyway, to each yeah. other and corroborate that. And and with it, in a two-player game, I'm glad that there was enough that I had to say it out loud uh -huh. to bring it out of myself to make the puzzle more clear in my head, right? But but like in any hidden movement game, like mm -hmm. you're you're balancing then if you're playing with more people, you're balancing how much information you do want to give to the person that's trying to get away mm. uh, as uh, and balancing how much information you're sharing between you yeah right? i liked the game i like the game a lot i like the concept of the game right mm. i think it's it's a very interesting uh concept it, and like you said it is quite abstract and in like in theory there's lots of different hidden movement games that do a, a similar thing but this does it I think exceptionally well, like the different uh, elements that you get, the different abilities of the rogue agents, mm -hmm. uh, the different abilities I had as uh, recruiters uh, were very well done. One thing I want to bring up is that uh, I have historically not enjoyed a lot of uh, hidden movement right. games. I know there's a lot of fans for Fury of Dracula. Mm -hmm. I think that game is dull. Mm -hmm. um, I, there's some people who like Spectre Ops. I think that game is dull. Mm -hmm. uh, there's people who like Let Us Provide Chapel. I think that game is dull. Uh, <laughs> and and the reason for that in yes. all of them, I yes. think, is that there's always one side that is less interesting. Yeah. There's always one side that is slightly boring and is sacrificing themselves for for everyone you know mm -hmm. to enjoy the game more and sometimes criminally that side is the one with more players yeah right yeah and and i'm like why why would you ever design a game like that and here i really want to bring up the training mm -hmm. game for a yeah, second okay. and my one stint as the recruiter yeah but only to emphasize that flaw that later the full game i hope rectifies yeah so in the training mode the recruiter is the exact epitome of of the problem of hidden movement <laughs> games. It is dreadfully dull uh -huh. because all you're doing is basically the way you win as the recruiter, you have to uh, like pass enough time and not be caught, right? Yeah. And the way you move in this game is orthogonally not like snaking over yourself. Yeah. So and you you can visit these locations with these features to recruit people but the only reason you would do that is to speed up the clock mm -hmm. because this is like an alternative win condition but the way the training game is set up you can only speed the clock up by like a ton and for that you have to make a lot of concessions in terms of like being very obvious as to how you're moving and where you're yeah. going and so i spent my game going well if i want to end the game one turn early I have to go in this exact path. And so I literally spent the entire game executing that one path, mm -hmm. making zero decisions, mm -hmm. hoping I don't get caught. Dreadfully dull. Yeah, I, I appreciate your point. But for someone like me, I really needed that that initial introduction game because because mm -hmm. my brain doesn't necessarily cope well with everything that's going on in this kind of game. I needed, like, I was trying to recruit. I was trying mm. to find out what I could do and how to do it and how yes. to avoid you and where I could go and what I could do. And, oh, I can't go back on myself. So, oh, I've planned mm. my path wrong. So, and, and all of those things stood me in, in good stead for the actual full game. Yeah. Right? I, and if we hadn't have played them, I would have got a lot more. I mean, I lost anyway. Yeah. You won hand, you know, handily, but... I would have got a lot more lost in what I was doing. Well, no, you, you, the first time we played, you won the game as no, a recruiter. Well, we both won as recruiters yeah. when we played in the, the training mode. Yeah, in yeah. the training. Because I think training the training game. mode heavily favors the recruiter. I think so too. Um, yeah. Here's the thing. I, I just to sort of big up your point. Mm -hmm. I would say definitely start with the training mode it, yeah. it really shows you what this game is capable of what kind of deductions you'll be making and it really sort of takes you through these steps and goes listen this this is what you'll be doing yeah, yeah, because yeah. just by reading the rule book you sort of get the picture of what the game is about but you don't really get the picture of deduction you really need to experience that and you need to find out which of the two roles suits you better as well mm. and i'm glad we even played two training games i think that was very important but then the full game i think well i haven't played as the recruiter in the full game mm -hmm, but i could mm -hmm. see that the game is totally different yeah because you add 
had a very different feel. All these new elements, like uh, the recruiter now also controls four figures on the map. Mm. Those four figures can go around recruiting more people. The game is slightly longer, but you have to be a lot more careful about where you're going. And not to mention also what the unlocks are. But as soon as the first game is over, you unlock something and that throws the game for a spin. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to say, because when you said about that you don't like hidden movement, right? Mm. The other thing that I know you don't like about hidden movement is when it's sprawling. Mm -hmm. Uh, So because you you have this big board with, I don't know, 50 spaces or whatever, uh, and and it's linear and you're chasing Jack the Ripper or whatever, and, and they move and then you move and then they move and then you move yeah. and, then, and you're going oh god i'm never going to catch up with them right whereas this because it's a grid and because the recruiter cannot go back on themselves there is a, a kind of crunching in yeah there's a, a deduction puzzle there yeah. is a deduction puzzle and i think that's what you really liked about oh it. yeah Correct i loved it and I, I love that the recruiter is given tools to evade that puzzle because you have this yeah. one mind slip token where you can suddenly make a jump Right. And you found that more interesting rather than frustrating, which is what you find in the other hidden exactly. type games. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that I think, like, for someone like me, that this is a really good way of playing hidden movement games because you get that extra bonus you get you get the extra little bump if you're playing with someone who does enjoy these games these types of games or whose brain figures out these types of games much better than you you're not at a disadvantage as much Mm -hmm. i think and and it does say that they are optional these little boxes and we we played one game and i lost and then we played so i opened a box then we played another game and i lost and i went please i don't want to open another box please just let me try again and you're yeah, like because yeah because you want sure, the same challenge right let's do yeah. It. yeah 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 so, exactly. so you can do that as well there are options for you to just try again mm. and as long as you're not frustrating the other person oh but what that's the thing you mentioned that you lost but you mm. haven't mentioned how spectacular those moments were where like thanks Esca. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay not to rub salt on the wound um, right but like there was a moment where it's like I asked the right question at the right time yeah, you and did. you say something <laughs> and I go aha <laughs> no that that's the thing I go wait a minute uh-huh. and then you know like bunch of math puzzles appear near my head you know like geometry <laughs> puzzles right like they start like drawing themselves yeah. yeah 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 and I go wait a minute uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then more geometry puzzles appear uh-huh. right and then I go Wait a minute. Are you there? And yeah. while at the same time, my brain is going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. But then immediately after each game, you go, well, okay, here's my map. Here's where I went. And, yeah, you know, like, yeah. and this was my plan. And then we sit and talk about it. It produces these wonderful moments, you know. I, I really, really enjoyed Mind MGMT. I think it's really good. I think it's probably... St- now the best hidden movement game i have ever played Mm -hmm. maybe it got into your mind oh that's the one other thing i wanted to mention (laughs) um one of the things that i immediately latched onto is that whilst these features on the board are abstract effectively Uh um there was something about them that sort of spoke to me like in each game it was a different one maybe it was the birds maybe it was the torches or the idol the confusion idol Mm -hmm. you know and i sort of go maybe that means something and it does mean like they do mean something because some of these features are more important to the recruiter player and i'm like am i just focusing on something that's completely abstract and you know irrelevant or or does it matter and in one of the games it did it really did (laughs) and i thought i turned psychic you know (laughs) Because I was like, wow, that was the exact right thing to focus on. Because by by bumping your immortals away and, you know, g- making sure I can investigate these features, <laughs> I actually found out where you were and won the game. Incredible. Plus, there's all this other stuff that we haven't explored. There's, yeah. there's There are comic panels on everything. There's a comic on the tiny map. There's a comic on the big map. There's a comic 
a tiny comic in the game. Like, it, there's just comics everywhere. Like, yeah. for you to read. And apparently there is some kind of puzzle in this maybe, that you can at some point maybe, discover. Don't, don't spoil the box, uh, well, right? There's Well, but the box is covered in things that say, this is a puzzle, this is a puzzle. Is this a puzzle? Hmm. Can can this be a puzzle? I don't know. Do you think you're good enough? Like It taunts you. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. It really confuses your brain. Mm. I, it's it's lovely it's delightful we are going to explore more mind mgmt uh yes. in the future uh and deliver maybe a video on it potentially a video on it we're thinking about making a video yes. on it and yeah stay tuned for more of that but so far first impressions incredibly very strong mm. very good a thing to watch out for that's mind mgmt Thank you so much for listening to the 30th episode of the No Punt Included podcast. If they want to find out more about us, where can they find it? Well, they can find more episodes on nopunincluded.com slash podcast where all the episodes are. They can also Mm -hmm. leave a comment, uh, say something nice about the games, the us, the anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can also find more No Pun Included at youtube.com slash nopunincluded, which is where our main bread and butter is. If you're into bread and or butter. And if you really, 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 really like us, please consider supporting us on patreon.com slash no pun included. That's what makes this podcast and our YouTube reviews possible. And we'll be grateful. And you get some bonus things like access to a very nice Discord server where people talk all the time. And also uh, some bonus videos, uh, Mm -hmm. occasional update, that kind of thing. And with that... Why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.